Hello, everyone, and welcome to an episode of Next Best Series here on the Next Best Picture podcast, where we talk about television, taking a little break from our film discussion. And we are heading over to the land of HBO, which has returned with its new season of True Detective, starring Mahershala Ali in the lead role who is currently getting a lot of notices for his work in the film Green Book, very reminiscent of season one of True Detective when Matthew McConaughey had the lead role during his run for Dallas Buyers Club. So will there be a similar successful pattern here with this uh, season of True Detective following the disappointment that was season two? We are here to discuss the first three episodes and here to help me do so, I have Josh Parm. Hello, hello. And J.C. Aldridge. Hi, everybody. All right. So I want to first start off by asking the two of you before we get into the details of the first three episodes and where we feel the story is heading, how we're feeling about everything. I first want to ask about what your experiences have been regarding the first season of True Detective starring Matthew McConaughey, Woody Harrelson, and then season two, which aired a few years ago with Colin Farrell, Rachel McAdams, and... To be honest, I don't even remember. Oh, Vince Vaughn, he he was in that. <laughs> like that second, that that tells you everything you need to know about that second season. I barely remember it. So, <laughs> JC, why don't we first start off with you? Thoughts on True Detective, the first two seasons so far? Yes. So I actually haven't seen the second season yet. Um, oh, I you dodged love, a bullet. Yeah, I I know. I've heard not great things. I do love Rachel McAdams, and I I probably will check out eventually. It's just True Detective. Um, is one of those shows that requires so much focus that if it, if like I've heard bad things about the second season already, I just don't know if I would be able to focus on it. But the first season, and I stand with a lot of people that I know in this statement, is just one of the most brilliant uh, TV series that I've ever seen. Matthew McConaughey, like you were saying, came into his own with Dallas Buyers Club. And he worked so hard to get out of that um, niche of playing romantic comedies. And True Detective, I think, was kind of like the final um, plank that he just crushed through. And that just completely bolted his career. Obviously, Woody Harrelson, I love. And they were just such a great team. Um, and so I was really excited for this third season. But yeah, I love what I've seen from True Detective, I did dodge a bullet and I have not seen season two. All right. All right. Fair enough. Josh Parham, what about you? Well, the first season of True Detective, I really did enjoy. And what I really liked most about it was the performances and those characters. I think that was the strongest suit of, of that first season. I remember people saying that they had complaints that the story wasn't that great or that the mystery was a little bit underwhelming, but I kind of never felt like that was the point of the first season. Uh, to be honest with you, I think I guessed who the killer was like in episode two or three. So that never really mattered to me. I was just always focused on those characters, those performances. And that to me was so endearing. You're right that to me, McConaughey did better work in True Detective than he did in Dallas Buyers Club. I think that is his best performance in his career. And 
I think it's really, really well done. Yeah, I have to say I was very, very impressed by True Detective when it first aired, especially the performance by Matthew McConaughey. I <laughs> echo what you're saying there, Josh, and that it might actually stand quite possibly as the best performance of his career, even though it's been kind of memed to death at this point with the whole time as a flat circle and all the enigma and riddles and stuff like that surrounding that character. Um it's a very fascinating character that he played on that show, and it's what kept me coming back week after week. Also, too, The Direction mm-hmm. by Kerry Fukunaga uh, was, by the time we got to, like, episode four, yeah, uh, we got we got to that episode with the one shot. Uh, I think it was, um, uh, the, it was like, the final uh, scene of the episode. I remember just thinking to myself, holy God, and he directed every single episode this season. Like, this show is the real deal. Mm-hmm. I need to find out if many, if any of my friends are watching this, uh, and I need to get them on this. This is insane. And sure enough, by the time we got to the finale, I feel like the show had just hit its peak because I had gotten together at least seven, eight people together. We were watching it, like, in uh, my friend's basement, and we were like, you know, like, it was a, it was a thing. And I wish it had gone on for more uh, at that point. I really wish it wasn't just these eight episodes. I had wished it was a contiguing story and we could come back and revisit those characters. But there was a finality to it all that I also really appreciated. And I had high hopes for season two when I saw the cast. And uh, the problem, though, is that they rushed it into production. And those scripts were underwhelming, to say the least. Oh, yeah. Um because I, I did enjoy the first season, but the second season was just so, it was just terrible. Like, there's no other word for it. it. It was so convoluted and messy, and everything about that second season just seemed to take all the bad elements from the first season and just amplify them. And it wasted the potential that it had, and all of these great actors in it, too, just we're wandering around aimless in this story and I do remember finishing it but I can't tell you anything that really happened in that second season it has evaporated from my memory like, <laughs> as soon as it ended and it was just so so bad I only remember two things about the show uh, in the second season I remember Colin Farrell beating somebody on a front porch with brass knuckles and he said, like, the most jaw-droppingly intimidating line to this little boy about, like, how he was going to put his dad's, like, headless corpse on his front lawn or something like that. And I was like, I remember hearing that and going, oh, my God. <laughs> Wait, but can we, like, just mention that Colin Farrell is just known for brass knuckles. I feel like he probably has a closet full of different types of brass knuckles <laughs> that he, like, selects for each role. And he signs a contract that's, like, if brass knuckles aren't allowed, I'm not doing this. It's it's quite possible. It could be in the contract for sure. Yeah. And then the, the other thing I remember distinctly about season two was uh, the scene in the desert with Vince Vaughn in the finale. And I thought that was pretty creative and actually kind of good. And I still stand to stand by this to this day that despite the bad script, I thought Vince Vaughn gave a very good performance. Yes, he was miscast, but I think in terms of what he can do as an actor and what range he has, I think that he was at least digging a little bit deeper and going a little bit further than I had ever seen him go before. Um, with all that out of the way, heading into season three, my confidence for the quality of season three 
was pretty high because they did not rush this into production. It's actually been a few years now since uh, season two of True Detective. We're in 2019 right now, and season two was four years ago, back in 2015. So the creator of the show, uh, Nick Pizzolatto, has had a lot of time to write these scripts, fine-tune this story, and give us something that is going to hopefully bring back the good vibes of season one. And I think that they've done that here. They have timelines again going on where in the first season they use a narrative device of jumping back and forth between the present and the past here we actually have three timelines uh this time around from 1980 to 1990 to 2015 and you also have the focus on uh Instead of where in the first season it was a two-hander between McConaughey and Harrelson, then in the second season it was just too many characters, here they're really focusing on Mahershala Ali. And yes, there are other great actors in the show that have been cast here. Um, Some well-known, some not so well-known, but you have Carmen Ijogo, Stephen Dorff, Scoot McNary. Uh, They're all really, really good, capable actors. And then you have a lot of character actors in supporting roles, but this is the Mahershala Ali show. And the story takes place uh, in the South once again, where the second season took place in L.A., and they were trying to go for like an L.A. noir, kind of a convoluted political backdrop with scandals, and like it, it was very convoluted, needlessly convoluted in my opinion, where this story feels more straightforward, is more deep-rooted in emotion because not only are you focusing on this character study of Mahershala Ali, who's playing Detective Wayne Hayes, but you're also focusing in on a story that we all can get emotionally invested in, which is the search for these lost children. Yeah, I agree. I think um, I was... I love the three timelines, even though sometimes... I'm like, okay, what timeline am I in? Well, the 1980 and uh, 1990, I get a little confused too. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's the 2015. Um, And I, I'm so intrigued because, you know, you, I would, it would make in a normal story setting, I feel like you'd have the 1980 and the 1990 and then they would, whatever the conclusion is of the case would happen in that 1990 timeline. But now we even have this third timeline where things still didn't add up. Right. So it just makes you wonder like what went wrong, not once, but twice. And it's just a really fascinating concept with those three timelines that I really enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, I'm actually a really big sucker for stories that play with time like that. I mm-hmm. I really do like like it when writers can find a way to manipulate our time frame within a story. And sometimes it can be done effectively and sometimes not. But that is an intriguing element to me with this season, especially because mm-hmm. in the 2015 storyline, the Mahershala Ali character is suffering from some kind of dementia. So his memory is really messed up too, which not only gives you this air of kind of the unreliable narrative in anything that takes place in the 1980 or 1990 timelines, but it also means that stuff starts to kind of bleed together in this very creative and interesting way that's really, really kind of interesting to watch. What I'm a little afraid of, though, is I am getting a little scared 
with that kind of a narrative uh, device that they might try to pull some sort of a plot twist on us mm -hmm. uh, and really play up the dementia in terms of he gets the details wrong of the story. And I, I just... It, it, it's let me put it to you this way there's one way to have that twist play off and have it be convincing and have it actually have a great amount of impact on you even if you could see it coming but then there is the predictable oh i saw that coming a mile away and oh this is just very hokey and i don't believe it sort of way they could pull it off yeah I'm a, I'm a little afraid of where they're going with that to tell you, you know, the truth i'll hope i really hope they don't because i tell you that's one of my least favorite plot devices is like films where it was a dream or you know like if he is remembering it differently and it's and it ends up being the most obvious you know in answer at the end of the day anyways i hope it does i feel like i don't know i'm staying hopeful i don't think it's i don't think that's gonna happen but that would be sad i would be bummed mm-hmm uh, so in terms of Ali and what he's doing here with this character, with this performance, because I, I have to say it's amazing how in the last couple of years he's really just emerged as a superstar mm -hmm. on on the screen. And before, man, before Moonlight, I mean, what was he most known for? House of Cards? Gosh, right? I don't even. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I remember he had a very small role in Benjamin Button. Yes. <laughs> oh, he did. Yeah, that's remember. right. Aww. Yeah. So, I mean, Ali has really like emerged and now he's got this movie star quality about him. Uh, but it's really, really, really deep rooted within uh, extreme internal character work, something that he did so well in Moonlight. And I'm getting the sense of it here, too, where. He's the kind of actor that I wouldn't say is showy in what he does, but what he makes us do is he makes us lean in and he makes us really focus in on everything that is that he's saying and everything it is that he's doing. Part of it is the, <laughs> part of it is his smooth, uh, soothing, deep voice. Probably, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> well, sometimes his, I mean, that's a great leaning in is a great way to put it, both because of your actual interest, but also because, like, if you're not leaning in, then you might hear what he says is one long word that just continues on forever and you have to like really focus on what he's saying and that's the thing too with nick pizzolato both in season one and in season two of true detective um, i'm getting the sense here of season three as well even though there are some things that he's going back to season one for in terms of he knows this is what the audience wants um it's still a slow burn and I can yeah. totally understand if people watching this week by week, especially within these first couple of episodes, are just like, man, when is something going to happen? Oh, I feel like the plot's not really going anywhere. Oh, you know, and you just get those common complaints. I think it was very wise of HBO to release the first two episodes together in the same night to maybe mm -hmm. help to squash that. Yeah. yeah it, uh, I, I do think it does give you a sense of, propulsion within the story that if those two episodes had not been together you would have been deprived of a little bit and it, I never really mind the kind of slower pace to it all though and I think if you're wrapped up in the story and the characters that whatever happens in the actual story whether or not you are completely invested might not matter that much and I think that was the strength of the first season and Right now, I am really drawn in by what Mahershala Ali is doing, and you're right that it is 
a very internalized performance. But what's also great is that it's not like you can see the gears turning when he's just sitting there and thinking about something either. You can feel a very authentic reaction to his entire surroundings and his interactions. And that's what makes him such a fascinating actor. So my question to both of you is, of the three timelines, 1980, 1990, 2015, which timeline are you the most interested in right now, would you say? Ooh, that's a good question. Hmm. Um, I think... Uh... I think for me right now, I'm really interested in the 1990 timeline um, just because the idea that, you know, they, they just found out. So the 1990 timeline, what, how are we doing with like plot? I don't know. I don't really know if this is a, oh, well, I'm just going to spoil it. So the 1990 timeline, there's, you know, there's um, the fingerprints are found in the store. And I think right. that the 1990 timeline kind of represents the most interesting um, aspects that people are in, are are drawn to in those types of stories, um, because that's when things are kind of heating back up again. It's like, you know, this kid has been lost for a decade, and now she suddenly shows up. And I'm also really interested in what happened in those ten years that made um, Wayne's character not able, or Wayne not able to continue working in the force. Why was it his last case? I mean, his partner mm -hmm. Roland talks about how they blocked him from joining his task force. And I'm really intrigued as to how that played out. Um, so I think that's where I'm at right now. I also want to just comment too, and we'll get to me, we'll get to her in a bit with Carmen Jogo. But I, I wanted to say too, and just seeing the timelines play out, I really do like that in the first timeline we're seeing how they meet. Mm -hmm. In the second timeline, we're seeing uh, where they're at in their marriage and how the after effects of this case and him leaving the force, it's just having like this sort of a impact on their marriage. Mm -hmm. And then in the third timeline, she's not there at all because she she has passed away. And, you know, it's it's very interesting because like each timeline has something very distinct about it that's different than the other. His uh, relationship with his partner, uh, played by uh, Stephen Dorff, uh, who plays Roland West in this, is I don't know if I would call it strained in the second timeline as much as they're just at two very different positions. Like he's he's like ascended him. Mm. By the time we get to the second timeline, I don't know. I'm interested to see where more of that goes. Uh, I'd say favorite timeline uh, right now. I, I, right now, I think I like the first timeline the most. Yeah. Because I, I am liking the interplay between Carmen Jogo and Mahershala Ali. I'm loving Scoop McNary. Oh, yeah. So much. Well, how could you not love Scoop McNary? He's I always love Scoop so McNary. <laughs> And uh, I think, see, I, I have a feeling the third timeline is going to get more interesting, especially as more reveals are had. But for now, I'd say the first timeline for me. What about you, Josh? Well, I agree with you, Matt, that the first timeline, what is I think what is compelling about that one especially is that that's where you get really a lot of the mystery of just figuring out what like the very basics of the case. And that is very mm -hmm. compelling. 
Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of the full review of True Detective Season 3, Episodes 1 through 3, on the Next Best Series podcast. In order to listen to the rest, you will have to head on over to our Patreon page for Next Best Picture, where for $1 minimum a month, you can get the rest of this review, along with other exclusive podcast content, including extra film reviews voted on by you, the Next Best Picture community. Thank you so much for listening to us here on the Next Best Series podcast. You can subscribe to us under the Next Best Picture banner for iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and newly on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. And if you like what you hear, once again, head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you'll get this episode and other exclusive podcast content. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time.